We are delighted that this episode of Starts at the Top is sponsored by Avato CRM Solutions. Avato CRM Solutions designs and delivers award-winning customer service, business process outsourcing, and digital and intelligent automation solutions of some of the world's most respected brands, as well as innovative charity and public sector clients. They partner with clients to help them define their customer experience and transformation strategies by implementing the right technology, people and processes to improve their customer journey while driving new efficiencies and helping them prepare for the future. To find out more about how Avato CRM solutions could help an organisation like yours and to receive a free no obligation chat, visit avato.co.uk forward slash Wales Air Ambulance. Those things that help you understand your people better is more motivating than any scheme you can put in place. And do you know what it comes down to is just showing that you care. When you care, people will stay. Welcome to a brand new episode of Starts at the Top, our podcast about leadership, digital and change. I'm Paul Thomas. And I'm Zoe Amma. Our podcast is all about leadership and brings you interviews with leaders who we believe are driving positive change in the world. Yeah, change comes in many forms and we're equally interested in speaking to leaders who are making incremental change that shifts the dial within their organisations as we are about huge systemic changes that impact the world of work. The driving force of what we do is to share these stories across sectors so we can all learn from each other. Today, we're sharing our conversation with Ben Williams, CEO of Lupin, a new platform that uses predictive analytics and AI to help employers foresee and forestall burnout and reduce employee turnover. Um, I think this is going to be a really interesting interview. Ben is a very compelling listen. We love talking to him. And his background, as you may have heard when he was previously on Diary of a CEO, is as a Royal Marine. So he's got a really interesting take on how organisations approach leadership and leadership training. And we found that really thought provoking. We came away from our conversation inspired and energised by Ben, and we hope you do too. So Zoe, we've both had a bit of time off over the summer. Are your batteries fully recharged? And um, I guess, you know, in on brand with this, did you listen to any good music and read any good books? Uh, well, answer to your first question, a bit recharged, um, but juggling kids and uh, Zoom calls and work definitely had overtakes of, of lockdown. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners will have been in the same boat. And yeah, I've been reading some really interesting books. I've just started reading uh, The Fun Habit by Mike Rucker, who is obviously a former guest of ours. Uh, And I think we're going to be doing a book special in a few weeks time. So I can say a bit more about my thoughts on that book. It's really worth reading. And some of the other books I've been reading recently. How about you? Yeah, so yeah, lots of books for preparation for the podcast. We've got a good few authors coming up on on, on the podcast in the next few weeks, so that's been good. Um, purely for pleasure and to get it finished, I was reading Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Dewar. Uh, Dewar, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, actually. Um, but that was a, a, a really good read, if, um, if a, a bit um, all over the place. It was one of those books that sort of tells you part of the story over here and then moves to part of the story over there and then part of the story over here. And just when you get a big cliffhanger, you've got to wait five chapters to find out what happens to uh, 
the, pe- the people you're following. But really good. I recommend it. Um, completely, uh, completely original. I think it's quite good. Um, yeah, but other than that, uh, catching up with my magazine subscriptions, which is associated with music, because I have a magazine subscription to um, to Uncut. It's the physical magazine that I still hang on to and buy every month. But they've been stacking up. So I was by the pool reading interview uh, articles about uh, Nick Drake and Elliot Smith and people like that. So, mm, nice. Uh, enjoying listening to my music while reading. One of my favourite things is reading the reviews and just plopping the music on and having a listen and seeing what I think and what I make of it. So lots of new discoveries. In tech news this week, uh, Google turns 25. Wow. 17 years since the term Google entered the dictionary. So my question to you, Zoe, or two questions, is what were you likely uh, to have been Googling back in 1998? And... Um, Remarkably, 288 products and services have been retired by Google since they set up 25 years ago. So I wondered what Google service has had the biggest impact on your world. But yeah, Googling back in 1998. Oh, goodness me. I was so useless with technology back in 1998. Uh, A few years after that, I started my very first job working in an office And I was so bad at using the firm's IT systems that uh, I used to call the IT help desk every single day. It was honestly like some kind of therapy support line. It was awful. So that's probably quite a career ending confession. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, goodness me, probably like how to use a computer was probably what I was Googling back in 1998. Uh, I have come a long way since then, obviously. I think the service that has been most useful for me has definitely been Google Workspace, which is the foundation which our businesses build on. I really think that, you know, Google Sheets, Google Docs, all of the collaboration tools, I feel that they really led where Microsoft followed, actually, um, in many ways. So... Yeah, I think they are really good. The only thing I've never been so sure about is the Gmail product, which I feel is a bit like a consumer product that's been hacked into a business one. I still think Outlook is a bit easier to use. How about you? Well, definitely my searches in 1998 would all be music focused, but also I graduated in 1998, so that ages me. Me too, me too. And so I probably would have been feverishly Googling how do I get a job where I can speak French, Um, which is... Which is what, what my parents were after. I think they wanted, you know, the investment they put into to take sending me to university had to pay off. And so I, yeah, I did. Found a tech job where I could speak French. It was a, a web agency that needed a French speaker. So that worked well. And in terms of, of products, I don't know, not the biggest impact, but I think uh, just recently I've I've sort of fallen in love with Google Drive and being able to access anything from anywhere and constantly updating and upgrading my um, uh, my subscription so I've got enough data. But the one I miss most of all was Picasa, which was great from a, a storing photos point of view and sharing photos with people and family as well. So I really I really do miss that. I don't think anything actually has come uh, that that close. But I don't I don't invest time in Google Photos and things like that. So you know, maybe there is something that replaces it. But I'm in, I am interested in how, you know, they have progressed over the 25 years. Every day, every time I go into London and I arrive in King's Cross or, or Euston and walk to King's Cross, I walk past that massive building and I do wonder 
that massive new HQ alongside King's Cross. And I do wonder how they're actually going to fill that with, with people. Is it coming a few years too late? Um, I'm sure, you know, Google will survive, but there are other organizations like OpenAI stealing a march on um, AI and ChatGPT3 sort of outstripping Google's efforts. Now they've got some good stuff out there, but um, but not quite so much. And I think Microsoft probably catching up a little bit as well in terms of their offer. Um, and particularly when it comes to things like Microsoft 365, just it's completely ubiquitous now. It's really difficult, I guess, in a consultant role to find organizations that aren't using that. So when you do come along with a Google suite, sometimes it can be quite difficult to, to integrate how you work with, with clients because they're all on 365. So I think, yeah, I do wonder whether there's a bit of a refocus coming for, for that organization. Maybe they'll rebrand, call themselves Z or something and, um, and, and completely change tack. I think one of the big tests of them is going to be when Bard gets fully switched on in workspace and how that then inevitably gets compared to Copilot in mm. the 365 suite and we know both of those things are going to come it's going to be over the next six months now surely yeah 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 I think co-pilot's going to be a, a game changer for most of the organizations I work with um from what I can can tell um you know just if it, if it can help people with meeting minutes and I think it will you know that's going to be a, a game changer stuff like that where you mm. know things knowledge is getting lost because people aren't necessarily following up on on things that have happened i think it's going to be a really really crucial thing there um, also open ai helped me with a big brand uh, issue i'm changing my my, my go-to-market brand for for myself and my business over the next few months and i ran some um, stuff that i'd written through uh, through uh, chat gpt3 and it really helped me with one line particular line it didn't do everything but there was one line that I was really struggling with and it came up with an option for that that I was just like you've nailed it um which was quite interesting to accept that you know AI had uh, succeeded where I had failed but um yeah one line in my new brand I'll show I'll share it with people when it happens is uh, is completely down to chat gp2 three anyway nice. exciting yeah so now for our conversation with Ben Williams of Lupin we are very excited to welcome Ben Williams, CEO and co-founder of Lupin, to start at the top. Ben is a best-selling author and leadership coach who has worked with the likes of Gareth Southgate's England football team, Facebook and Gymshark. Ben's book, Commando Mindset, is about helping people to find their motivation, realise their potential and achieve their goals. With Lupin, Ben is using his commando mindset experience as a former Royal Marine and partnering this with real-time AI to help combat burnout and empower managers to promote well-being in the workplace. Ben's journey from battlefield to boardroom is a fascinating one and we're looking forward to hearing more about that today. And Lupin's tech is making leadership knowledge and wisdom available to people in more ways. With more and more teams going remote in the post-pandemic world, workplace cultures are changing and the necessity to keep teams connected through peer-to-peer -peer support is more important than ever. And that's one of the things we're going to be discussing today. 
Ben has previously appeared on Dragon's Den stars Stephen Bartlett's podcast, Diary of a CEO, so you may have heard him on that. And he's currently recording a new podcast series called Morale in Action, looking at how employers build and maintain morale, a subject which is also uh, something that's come up a lot in our conversations we've had on Starts at the Top as well. So we're especially excited to be welcoming Ben to the podcast today. Welcome, Ben. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks so much for making the time to chat today. Um, so one of the things we wanted to kick off with is obviously you were doing a lot of work around, you know, how to manage people in, a, you know, in a really kind of skillful way that's especially important to this new world of work post-pandemic. And one of the things that we, we have been talking about with you and your team over the last few weeks is about that specific skill of managing people. And reflecting on my time in the workplace so far, it feels like a lot of that is very organic, isn't it? How you learn about that kind of thing. But I understand you got taught specifically about how to do that in the Marines. So can you take us back to when you learned about management? Sure. I think um, management in the last couple of years has become almost quite a, a challenging subject in itself. Maybe a, a two years ago, three years ago, before COVID, it was well, you're either a leader or you're a manager. You know, you identify as one more than the other and you have a higher percentage of the skill set compared to the other. And I think that's quite uh, a natural thing. Um, some people are more leaders than they are managers and vice versa. Um, I think what we've seen through the pandemic, though, is this migration towards, oh, you need to be a really efficient manager, but you also need to be really good at leading people as well. And that means you have to have empathy, you need to have that emotional intelligence to understand how your hybrid team are feeling, um, what people are thinking, how do people like to be coached? How do people like to be led? And that's a really challenging environment for a manager when there's probably quite, I would argue, an abundance of resources to equip people to be a good manager. There's not the most amount of resources to equip them to be good leaders. Um, and so reflecting on my time in the military from day one literally day one of recruit training you're in some way or another inoculated to the skill set of management and leadership um and that can be just being what what we call the duty recruit so the recruit who's going to step out to the right hand side of the troop for the day and when we march from classroom to the gymnasium or back to our accommodation you know it's always as a body of, uh, of people uh, and there'll be that one recruit who will step out to the side and they'll carry the bucket that's got all the keys for the lockers in and they'll call out left, right, left, right. And they're nominated to be that duty recruit. And that's from day one. So from day one, you're experiencing what it's like to put people in one place to another through your instruction and direction. And then as you grow through your career, or through your recruit training alone, you go through more camp-based um training scenarios through to sort of live battlefield scenarios where your leadership skill sets as a recruit is still managing a team, ensuring that they've got the ammunition, um, that you, there is tactical elements to it as well. And, and so even within Royal Marines training, which is 32 weeks long, you go on this um, almost leadership and management experience that you weren't <laughs> expecting whatsoever. And even at the end of training, uh, you pass out and um, of what's called King Squad, which is the celebration of you becoming a Royal Marines Commando. Uh, and some of you can pass out as Diamonds or a King's Badgeman, which is an award given to those that are particularly uh, equipped to be good leaders and managers. And, and that helps you immediately on your career pathway. And then, uh, you know, throughout my career, 
I found that when you go on a, a leadership or management course within the Marines, you were already ready for it. So it almost turned into a box ticking exercise, a, a, a very correct box ticking exercise where you spent the last two years maybe in a particular role. You've been around a good sergeant or a good corporal. You've learned their skill sets. They've mentored you how to have how to be a better leader, be a better manager. You've learned those things along the way. And then you go on a course where you then display what you've learned and are tested on what you've learned. You are then qualified and then you go back and do your job. And then, and then it will carry on. So you become a sergeant, to so become a colour sergeant and so on and so on. I think the important lesson there is within the military, we're not perfect. There's always holes in the net. You know, I'd never say we're 100% great leaders and great managers, but a military leadership is very management leadership based. You have to be extremely effective at leading your people in the field in some of the most challenging circumstances imaginable. You also have to be very good at managing them on camp to make sure that, okay, they've got a training scenario coming up. Okay, where's all the kit? And process-driven behaviours as well. So it's that management experience. And my belief is that the military, especially the Marines, because that's my experience, we, we're really good at preparing our people for leadership. And that's the difference. When I've left the military and gone into the civilian world, terrible at that. And it's, it's almost like, oh, you're promoted, you're on the course, learn the stuff, go back and do it. And it's very backward. You lose a lot of people through that. I think at the moment, 85% of employees thinking or are leaving their organizations is due to how they're being led or managed. Okay, so that's, that's a massive bleed that needs stemming within an organization. And so my, massive, my, my biggest reflection on that is, you know, how do you better prepare managers and leaders for their next step up, their next experience? And, and from the military, that's what I learned about that pre-game that prepares that person, even if it's just through mentoring, through someone that they're associated with within the business to learn good practices, best behaviours, to then go do the official bit and then go and do their job. I think this is fascinating because everything you've described there about your experience in the military is a, and this sounds fantastic, really so positive and inspiring, that it's a very deliberate, very intentional, really long-term skill that you're teaching people right from the day they enter the workforce and it feels like the complete mirror image of what I've seen happening in in some companies as, as you described there that it's very kind of organic let's throw a bit of leadership a bit of management at the wall and see whether it sticks and I love your point about people being in the mindset of learning these skills almost before they're ready to learn these skills so that when they get to the point where they are in that position where they need them they're ready to go, right? All the foundations have been built. Why isn't it like this in other sectors, do you think? Why are some companies getting this wrong? It's a great question. Um, <laughs> saying it's a great question is just the perfect podcast pause now, isn't it, if you hear that? so I Take your time, Ben. Think about the answer. <laughs> um, no, it is a great question. And I've often sort of looked at it myself. When now being in tech, I'm, I'm having to learn to lead and manage in, my, in a whole new way that I, I never experienced. And it's kind of, well, in a startup, it feels a bit make it up on the fly. And one of our investors, which came in quite early on, brought an executive coach with him. And kind of his big caveat to his investment was you will have an executive coach in every two to three weeks. What fits your schedule to help you transition what effectively was me still transitioning from the military, although I'd been out about a year and a half, I was 
I'd gone into running my own coaching business. I I was me. I was on my own. Um, you know, my leadership skill sets were still very much military focused, and I hadn't applied them to the civilian world. And then coming into a startup and having that opportunity to have that training enabled me to turn my my leadership practices from what I've learned in the core, which is what we call the Marines, through to now running my own business. And uh, by far, it's been probably the most challenging thing I've ever done. Um, leading on front lines, I think people misinterpret it as well, that, that's got to be the most harrowing, most challenging thing you're going to face. And it is, of course, the, the environment's challenging, the consequences are challenging, um, but the decision-making is very efficient because it's almost pre-programmed. And that's a result of all that training and all that mentoring you've had all the way up until that point. And we call it exposure equals composure. So the more you can expose someone to a situation that causes an adrenaline rush, a fight or flight or freeze response, um, that physical, mental reaction to something, the more you can expose them to it and train them in that environment, the more composed they'll be when essentially something hits the fan. Now, what I've noticed um, within the civilian world uh, across multiple sectors, it's multi-sector, um, is you're not, I say you're, I say we, we're not very good at exposing people to the challenges they may face where they need to be composed as a good leader. So what you have is you have um, Joe Bloggs, for example, has just left university. They've gone into a new role. They, they spend a year or two in the position. They've performed really well. And so then they're promoted based off that performance. Now, all of a sudden, Joe Bloggs, who's only had two years experience in the workplace, watching what goes on around them and maybe did rugby or netball or something like that at university is now having to learn leadership principles they've never established to then put into their role. And then you're in. And then what happens is, in my opinion, and what I've seen is what you have then is an untrained person who's a specialist in their role using their ability and their skill in the role as almost their ammunition to look effective in that place and kind of looking away from the leadership management responsibility because it has lots of tough things within it difficult conversations um it would, you could, the list is endless of how challenging the role can be and especially now it's more complex because it's your okrs your kpis your processes are now mixed with employee engagement well-being retention it's multifaceted so then if they're not prepared for that, they've not been exposed to those situations, they're never going to be composed when it comes to a challenging situation. And so my observation is why it misses is because there's very little going into how do you help sustain the improvement of that individual as they lead up to that responsibility. And it's, we'll come on to it. I, I won't maybe go into it just yet, but that's now where we're beginning to migrate as a business with our technology is as a coach, I go in and provide a workshop, which you get booked to do, let's say, and you provide a workshop on leadership. Um, great. People are going to sit there. They've got half a day off. They've got a couple of hours. Like, That's great. I can note some things down. Three days later, they're not going to remember who the speaker was. They'll probably remember one point. Um, and then the company will say, oh, some of this is online, so you can access it if you want to go and see it. So your blended learning experience becoming a leader is almost this sheep dip course or sheep dip experience. And then a massive void between that holistic approach to resource online. And it's that void that is imperative to improve the skill set. So the Marines, for example, is here's the information. 
mental, 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 mental experience, compose, expose, compose, expose. Now you're on the job, off we go. That void in the middle is the bit that misses. And if we can get that void right with more effective and efficient blended learning, such as you know what we're doing now using AI to build learning systems for people that you can interact with related to the situation that you're facing, you can equip them more regularly and more efficiently. So when problems occur, they're more prepared. And I think that's, it's a challenge and it's something that's missing, but equally, there's a huge opportunity to improve how we do this in the workplace right now with the, with, you know, the revolution of AI and, and how people operate in the workplace. So I wouldn't see it as a big problem actually now. I see it, I see it as an opportunity that we can revolutionize how we upskill managers and leaders in the workplace. And it is interesting, isn't it? Thinking back to um, the experience I had. I don't know how similar Zoe's experiences, the experiences that I had before entering the workplace. I mean, all those Saturday jobs, school, college, university, um, unless those employers, unless those um, experiences have an intentional leadership uh, element to them. So, for example, uh, I worked in McDonald's. One of the things in McDonald's is they immediately start to teach you about leadership and team management and those sorts of things. That's something that I probably picked up there that I don't ever think about. But when it comes to school and university, you're following an academic path. You're not necessarily being taught in those, um, I was going to call them soft skills, but leadership really isn't Mm. a soft skill, is it? You're not really taught intentionally around those things. You are as you said, almost cherry-picked from, oh, well, he's showing leadership qualities, she's showing leadership qualities, so she should be the captain of the netball team, she could be head, head girl, he could be head boy. All of that stuff is sort of, it's it's unintentional leadership training. So you, you don't have that grounding, whereas what you're saying is, yeah, you might have been through the school system and that might have been you coming out the other end, but then you're, as I think your, your word sheep-dipped in nearly nine months, ten months of... Of, of training specifically in how to deliver that, that, that nobody entering the work, workplace really has. So it's all that on the fly learning it, that we, we have. It's exactly that on the fly. And I think we have a saying in the Marines called no cuff too tough, which means there's nothing you can make up that's too hard to make up and just get on with it. Um, very much like kind of putting the tracks down in front of you, no cuff too tough. Mm. But our sort of leadership principle that's drummed into you from the start is actually a a really simple mnemonic. It's Jubwick and it stands for judgment, bearing, willpower, integrity, courage, and knowledge. Now, if you think about those, they're they're almost quite values-based and it identifies that um, they throw the mnemonic together. So it says Jubwick, but the J and the U fits together. So that judgment piece is how do you judge a situation? You know, Judging a situation is, are we going left flank or are we going right flank or do we need to tactically withdraw? Judging a situation is, I know that person over there likes to be shouted at. I know that person over there would rather have a soft hand on the shoulder. Are you okay? Um, judging the room, understanding what you're going into and, and how are you going to react with that? And I love talking about bearing, you know, bearing what we uh, attribute in the, in the military is how do you show up? Is your chest out? Is your chin up? Are you looking like you're in control? Um, my sergeant major used to say to me, uh, if you don't know what's going on, at least look like you know what's going on. And because that body language is that communication piece that 
this is all falling apart. But if everyone looks at me, they're going to look at me and think, I've definitely got control of this situation. So how you walk into a room, how you operate in the field, that bearing piece. And then, and then integrity is an obvious one. We, um, excuse me, I don't mind me saying, but it's we call it your virginity in the Marines. You can only lose it once. And so it's 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 there as part of our core DNA. And then you have courage, of course, courage. Leaders have courage and then knowledge. Are you an expert in what you're talking about? And if you're not, are you seeking to improve that knowledge? And if you think about about that, you look at how complex the leadership learning experience can be for employees where you have these models and these frameworks and these almost huge resources people have got to go through when they're already strapped for time where something as simple as where do you sit on job work? Where do you need to improve? Are you good at judging the situation? How do you turn up? If you turn up and start moaning that you're making layoffs, they may be happening, but you have to control yourself in that situation so other people feel more inspired as opposed to in fear. And that's all I, when I get the opportunity, you know, maybe less so these days because I'm more involved in our technology and what we're doing, but I still do speaking opportunities. I still do workshops. Only yesterday I was with one of the top football teams talking about this you know oh we don't have leaders here well you do you've just not you've not begun to nurture them and now you need to nurture and foster a leadership ethos within your club because that will give you the one percent more than some of the others within the tier that you're in so i think that's what it really comes back to for me is don't overcomplicate it you have to simplify it and i always kind of said to myself on my own journey is i want to create my leadership cocktail where I'll watch one particular leader and they'll do some great things. And I'll think, oh, I'm going to take a little bit of that and put it into my cocktail. But they did that thing that's rubbish. That's going in the bin. Um, That person's really good at that. And being very aware and self-aware to be around the good leaders, those that get followed by others as well, and not maybe the sort of more negative and, and brutal ones, which you can come across definitely within the Marines. And I think that's that part as well, of making your cocktail as you go along. of What do you put in there to make you the leader that you are there's not a set framework there's not a set way you have to be it's quite subjective and Jubwick is a, a really great way of uh, unearthing that within yourself and it's interesting as well just thinking as you're you're talking the the amount of leaders that we have coming onto the podcast who talk about things like imposter syndrome and yeah know, one thing that we've noticed since the pandemic is more leaders really accepting of the fact that they know nothing and they surround themselves by experts who know stuff they are the person as you said that walks in the room with their chest out their head held high and is able to hold it together from a leadership point of view whilst not necessarily having all the answers and i think that that sort of as you were talking there just thinking about the amount of people that talk about imposter syndrome yeah i look like i'm walking into the room with that attitude but that's half the battle isn't it yeah, I, I, I get it all the time. I'm my I say I'm a rifleman. That's my that's what I learned. That's what I spent ten years doing is on the front line. Now running a tech company as CEO. And when when we came into it and people started doing we're, we're doing agile sprints. I thought that was somehow running in a particular <laughs> way across a field on one foot being agile around it. The hell's an agile sprint? And having to learn all these things and you know you feel like you can ask stupid questions and. The CTO will look at you and, what, you don't know what JavaScript is? Nope. Well, it was a type of coffee. And then, you know, you just learn <laughs> as you go. But I think you have to be really accepting of imposter syndrome. I think, you're, I think you're really right as well. It's the last couple of years people have sort of gone, 
actually, I kind of don't know much and I need to surround myself with people who know particular things. And that's fine. Like, that's not a problem. The worst thing is thinking the imposter's eating away at you. You can't speak up and then you have to try and almost overcompensate for the areas you lack in. But half the fun is not knowing the thing to then go and learn. And I think it's it's more and more inspiring when leaders come through and, and start to be much more open and honest in that way. Because it's actually, when we talk about well-being and mental health as well, that's completely linked to it. You know, you can really hammer your own mental health and well-being because you're negatively talking to yourself internally because you're saying, you can't do this. You're not equipped to be here. They're going to find you out soon. The, the, <laughs> the moment you go, they probably already found me out and now I'm just going to learn as I go is where you accept that failing or that lack of understanding and then you go and equip yourself and god i've been in situations when the enemy are trying to get you and you do think do i deserve to be here how do i be here how do i show up in this situation if i get this bit wrong you know the consequences are dire but you you think through that situation you you accept that you might not know what's around the corner and there could be a consequence of that but you'll do your job to the highest ability to ensure that you can try and get home. Now, that's a very extreme example. I, um, I'm fascinated by the Ben Francis journey from Gymshark. I think when he stepped down from CEO to go around the business and learn about his business and learn about department owners and sit down with Steve, who became the CEO, to learn what it's like to be a CEO, it was such a fine display of, I have imposter syndrome. I don't understand what I'm doing in this particular part of the business. I'm going to go and learn. I'm going to enjoy learning. I'm going to spend two to three years in my business building that skill set up. And then I'm going to take back over the reins. Like we should all be doing that. And um, I think the more people like that who speak openly about you see me, we see them as a high performer, openly say, I've got massive imposter syndrome. I've got no idea how I've raised all this money and how we've got here and why we're doing this. And we're kind of just going as we go people really gravitate towards that because it's integral, it's transparent and it's honest. And I think that's where our true leaders shine through. And what you've described there with Gymshark and some of the other moments that you faced, it's a great act of leadership in itself, isn't it? Because you're sending out that signal to people, it's okay not to be the finished article. And actually one of your purposes in this organisation is about learning and saying that you're not afraid to learn. It's also how you position it in yourself. So, well, and even within your organisation. So, from from an outsider looking in through the barbed wire fences of a, a Royal Marines camp, there's probably the expectation that one of the values could be perfection to some degree. You know, there, there must be perfection. If it if they're not perfect, someone gets injured or killed. Whereas actually, what the value is is excellence, because perfection is unachievable you're never going to achieve perfection and those that do strive to achieve perfection aren't happy people because it's unobtainable you, you, you could argue there are elements in life where perfection is absolutely key otherwise you'll see the dire consequence of it going wrong but let's be really honest perfection doesn't truly exist in most of our lives but what we strive for in the marines is excellence so to think you're the finished article is untrue you are not the finished article you always have capacity to learn if you think you're the finished article you have arrogance and ego instead of humility that enables you to go oh i could always learn that one percent more and my corporal said that in training 
you know, he said, uh, if you're learning 0.1% every single day, you're improving, even if it's sub-zero. Um, you should always be thinking like that. And it always stuck with me because uh, one of our other core values is humility. So you have got to have that humility to learn all the time. But understanding there is never a finished article. There's always someone bigger and stronger and faster and more knowledgeable than you in the world. And it's a great opportunity to strive for that excellence instead of that perfection. And I think, again, going back to the point about imposter, um, linking that then to excellence is what do you then set across your business that other people look up to and it inspires them? So if you have a leader who goes, I don't really know much of this stuff. I'm learning as I go, just like yourselves. And you can really feel it's integral and true. What that then does is inspires people around the organization to go, well, if he or she can get there, so can I. And I feel compelled to and I feel inspired to. I feel safe to do so. As opposed to that person is the slickest operator I've ever seen. They never seem to drop anything. Um, well, they're going to be way better than me, so I might as well carry on doing what I'm doing. And I, I think that's the challenge people face. So it's about opening up that idea of being driving that excellence, constantly learning and inspiring people to be open about their own failings, just create some of the best leaders you'll ever meet. I was just going to ask, because I know you mentioned earlier on that you were doing some work with football teams. And as you were mm. talking there, um, Zoe always likes to know. Yeah, Zoe encourages me to put more football into these podcasts. Um, and it, it does come up time and time again. But there's so many parallels with what we're seeing so i'm a i'm an arsenal fan um and what we're seeing with that team (laughs) (laughs) but what we're seeing with that team at the moment is that resetting of that expectation and everything that i hear around that the club is that that striving for excellence rather than being the finished article um and that is coming from the top but it's also being seen on the pitch with the players that are coming in and that that sort of ethos. So can you tell us a bit more about the work that you're doing with, you know, obviously not giving away any confidential information, but with, with football clubs and sports clubs, what, what are they looking for from you? Is it that sense of leading from uh, example and through excellence? You said to get that extra 1%, what is it that they are looking for from, from you? Sure. Uh, and just so, so we work during this kind of off-season, pre-season stage with clubs um, uh, as part of one of our services that we have within the business. So we still, we're, we're very much across the, here's our tech, this is what we do, this is how we use technology to improve learning within the workplace and also then what's the hands-on holistic approach. And so do, doing that with data allows you to target the specific problem better. So... Um, just so listeners are clear and like a coaching company or a tech company it's a full it's a full suite of services with sport there's so many parallels to the military as 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 you can imagine this high performance environment it's very competitive um, the military is very competitive it's very um mission focused it's very uh objective photo focused it wants to win uh, and they're machines and they're facing a particular direction um, what I've come to see in the last couple of years, and this started when we did some work with England football and ha- when Gareth came in, was England football was notoriously bad for its culture, where tables would be Manchester United, other tables would be Chelsea, other tables would be Spurs. And 
you can see it in their performances when you look back and it's quite well document documented now over those years especially that kind of Beckham era and as it's moving more towards Gareth Southgate's tenure was these tables would sit apart they wouldn't talk it was all about the Premier League and kind of England was this box we needed to tick and hopefully we could win the World Cup when Gareth came and joined us in the Marines for a while uh, with the squad it was all about learning about our values and how we create that united identity that enables us to face any situation and very much brother first self last so you sacrifice yourself in front of anyone else within the team and it was about wearing the badge of honor and um, a value attributed to each lion so when you put the shirt on you're not putting your country's lions on you're putting on a particular value set that you as a club set um, and that's now steeped in its culture I, in, in fact i was with swansea football club yesterday and um, we're starting a project with them over the season to um, develop their culture across the entire uh, football club. So from grassroots academy all the way through to the pro team, catering, security, everything. Uh, it's all around what is that culture that's going to make us better than the rest. Because in sport, top six maybe, but there's so much money available that some clubs are just buying success. Now, for the remainder, most are pretty much on the same level to a degree across the Championship and the Premier League, that's for sure. And although money might still be a contributive factor, if we're really honest, those teams are usually quite level to a degree. And so then you have to look at, especially in the Championship, you then look at what's your edge then? Because everyone's as fit as each other now. Um, everyone knows the tactics and can play in particular ways. We've got the most current and up-to-date technology to understand so all the metrics and data are great and our physicality great but the one percent comes not just from your mindset but the culture of the club can you go in and give each other hard feedback and you have the humility to take it and go yeah you're right yeah i did do that wrong and it's not an argument it's not a fight uh it's an opportunity to grow can the youngest player do that to the most senior player and vice versa and can you in some way talk to the manager and get some response back of what to do next with the team and how to improve the next game? And for us, that's what it's about. It's, it's about creating that culture in a high-tempo organisation that has a turnover that probably is way higher than any tech company right now because of the draft systems. So how do you create that? And if you look at England, there's probably, since I worked with them, five maybe six players still kicking around who were there when I was there. Um, a lot of new blood, a lot of new talent. Some of the staff changed, but they've still got that culture. They've still got those three values that underpin what England football's about. And and much like what Arsenal's doing and, and some of the other clubs and where I'm working now um, is really trying to identify that actually your culture is the thing that's going to push you forward to win now against all the odds of the money uh, the tactics and the skills and the data. And uh, I think my final point on the football side is you only just have to look at Luton. So spending some play time with players yesterday who have just come from there, um, one of them from the uh, from the operations team and another was the one of the players, said it's just an underdog spirit. And that underdog spirit was infectious across the whole club. They had three pay tiers. So you either knew you were on X tier, Y tier or Z tier. There was no, you got more than me and I got more than you and all that stuff. Um, and it was a very humble club. 
and it's gone from the lowest leagues to now Premier League and its stadiums in a council state um, with the houses built into the stands. You know, it's just completely underdog, but it was all down to their culture. Um, and that's quite often for many clubs, the missing ingredient. That's incredible, isn't it? So it's really about culture as a competitive advantage. Mm. Could it be a USP in a in a uh, a game where everyone focuses on the data? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's so interesting. We're um, talking to a charity CEO actually in a few weeks, where they put culture absolutely front and center of of what they've done in helping their organisation move forward. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's such a key point. So I suppose that takes us on really nicely to Lupin. Can you tell us a bit more about what it is and how it works in practice? Yeah, sure. So we now have two product offerings. We've we've started to bring a a new product offering um, recently, which I'll come on to. But Lupin basically started uh, as Genesis came from the coaching environment. So um, in between leaving the Marines and starting Lupin, there was a, a bit of time there, a couple of years, uh, where I went into coaching with my business partner and, and we did some great work. We worked back with England, some of the football academies, you know, high professional sport. Uh, we ran um, a huge multi-thousand person national engage program for one of the banks. We, we were working with Meta um, and we were learning some key things that, hang on, you're losing loads of people here. People are disengaged because of managers. But we can't just say, oh, all managers are crap um, and have that kind of throwaway comment because they've been promoted on metrics. We have to find a new way to help them be great leaders, as, as we've discussed on this podcast. Um, so then when the pandemic swung in, the genesis was, well, we're going to be sat on our hands for a while and no one really knows what's going on. Can we, during that time, look at a technical solution that could possibly fill the void that we speak of, that could create something more for people that just go on a course or just read something online. And that's ultimately where Lupin began. And and for us as Marines, it, it, it began with looking after one another. So sentiment, how do people feel? So fast forward a couple of years, so I, I won't argue, it's been a challenging couple of years, um, but we're now starting to see the fruits of our labour in the sense of when we first started, People were saying to us, you're going to ask employees how they feel and share it with the team. And we were like, yeah, because it links to high performance. And it was a bumpy, hard start. But we got there. And essentially what Lupin does, it asks people how they are, how they're feeling about their day or their week. Um, Takes that data. uh, In some cases, it anonymizes it if you want to be on private mode or it puts it open if you want to be seen. Uh, Puts it within a kind of social space within your team. Uh, through Slack channels and through our platform, and you can see how people are. And, and we kind of prom- prompt and promote people to um, actually check in on one another and like comments and lend support and and build that connection between people in the workplace, how they're feeling. Now, it's kind of evolved over the last six to nine months as AI started coming, because then we thought, well, can we take that data and can we apply that data to AI models that are trained on particular resources, such as leadership development or personal development, well-being, and then kick back a personalized response to the individual. So maybe they're an employee who's just having a bit of a meh time at the moment, and you can create a personalized resource for that individual through AI to help support them. Um, what about the manager who's overwhelmed and has 
you know, all these plates to spin and, and now they've got insights to look at about how their employees are feeling. Oh, thanks for adding something more to my plate. Well, we condense that information and we pass the value to the manager in the sense of, hey, we know you're busy. Here's three things you might want to consider this week. Here's who you need to talk to. Here's who you can leave alone. And this is what to say. And so it's the idea is creating that journey where that's fine. People, I've had people challenging me going, oh, now we're getting managers to get robots to just do it for them. No, no. What you're doing is you're making their time more efficient, pointing out where they need to go and put action, where they can mitigate risks and where they can just carry on like normal. And that's really helpful. Um, so that's essentially what Lupin's evolved into. And then most recently in the last sort of six to seven weeks, um, we launched our new product uh, that fits under the Lupin brand. We're calling it Lupin Knowledge at the moment, but it's moving quite quickly and we're, we're soon to change the brand name. But that aside, what we've essentially began to do is train these models, but for coaches, for training companies, for individuals. So what we essentially did was we took my book, Commando Mindset, nice plug, uh, available at all retailers. Uh, we trained the digital version of the book into an AI model, took out a chat interface and branded it up all in the Commando Mindset branding. And now you can go in almost like a Commando Mindset GPT. It's the, it's the only thing it's trained on is my book. Um, we trained in my persona and how I speak and my tone. And now you can go in and ask the book questions and, and get answers based off what you're experiencing. So we played with that. And we thought, well, that's quite a smart thing to do. I wonder if other people would need or want something like that. So we took it to the coaching community and said, anyone interested in putting your content into a digital experience? And of course, they're limited to eight hours a day. They, they're they within those voids that I spoke about earlier. Can they make, first off, their content a passive income? Second off, can they make their content more accessible and more personalized. So immediately we started building for the training and coaching community. And then this kind of widened up, which we maybe anticipated, maybe didn't at this speed. Um, but sales handbooks, playbooks, I'm on a call. I'm a young employee. I've just got this job. I've got this objection. I don't want to ask my manager. I don't want to delay the process. Can I ask the handbook? So you train the handbook into the AI. And so it just broadens and widens our ability to help people learn more effectively and efficiently in the workplace and so you go back to what we were talking about around the voids you you have some training whether that's sales training leadership training well-being training and then there's a void and there's some resources you can go and visit if you're interested or have time well what we've done is essentially plugging into that void and experience that's just doesn't exist at the moment where you can interact with the content that you've been trained on or taught that's going to make you more effective and more efficient so it, yeah it's really starting to rocket for us and um you know we're humbled by that but we know we're using ai for good to be able to help improve that learning and training environment across multiple sectors and industries um to speed up the process and and i think that's what you know, definitely your CFO is looking for at the moment and, and the CEO and the coups, they want that efficiency within the business. So that's ultimately where Lupin's migrated towards. That's really exciting. And we'll put some links to all things Lupin in the show notes for anyone who'd like to find out more. Um, ben, this has been fascinating. Thank you. Before we wrap up, just briefly, for any leaders out there who might be thinking, gosh, my staff have been through a really difficult time over the last few years and I'm struggling to motivate them. What's the one thing you would recommend they do? 
That's another great question. Um, I was speaking to someone about this the other day, actually, around motivation. And actually, discipline eats motivation for breakfast. Anyone could be motivated for 10 minutes. What most companies are experiencing at the moment is that end of the honeymoon period. It's that classic, ah, oh, I'm on a health kick, so I'm going to set my alarm for five tomorrow and go to the gym, and then the alarm goes off. It's like, nah. Um, or you might do it for a couple of weeks, and then you hit that nah, phase. I think where we're at from what we're seeing is there was this excitement, I believe, when we came out of COVID that we're back. We're in the office. We've got this hybrid blend. Amazing. Like I kind of can work from home, but I can also go in the office. This feels great. And we went through this honeymoon period where all felt quite rosy. And then there was this lingering crash inbound and the recession heading our way. And then we need people back in the workplace this many days of the week and then the layoffs began happening there was an inevitable crash that was going to come from an experience that none of us have had or the or generationally haven't had since world war ii and it's going to come with its consequences not just during the moment but after the moment mm-hmm. and i believe what many leaders are probably now feeling the real pain of is everything tightening you know financially personnel wise resources and people just waning. We haven't recovered from COVID. Um, And if I look back on my military experience, when does the PTSD kick in? When does the post-traumatic stress happen? When does the anxiety come from? It doesn't come from the battlefield. It doesn't happen there. That's the trigger. It's six months, it's 12 months, it's it's three years later where people start to have flashbacks. And what what I believe we're going through is we've been through our trauma. We've all been through our battlefield. We've had that exciting moment of getting home away from the battlefield, which is this release out of COVID. And now it's back to normality where what happened on the battlefield for all of us is catching up. So I I almost don't have an answer because what I believe is happening is something unprecedented. People don't know how to navigate this motivation because the financial incentives aren't what they were. There's, There's just awful things happen around the world and I don't not to end on a low because I'll definitely bring this up because you've asked me how do I motivate people I said you can't and everything's on its ass it's not that at all but what we now need to look for is new more dynamic and subjective ways to motivate people it's it can't be a broad let's have a well-being scheme let's do this let's do that managers and leaders are going to have to get into their teams and understand what is kicking people, what's hurting people, and what's motivating people. Because all of us have got our own games now. And when you don't get in and unearth that, you will just create this selfish, siloed, individualistic um, group of people within their company that will go into survival, self-defense mode, where what you want is to be that leader who's in there. What are you suffering with? What? Where can I help you? Where can I take something off your plate? And that starts at the manager who runs three people teams through to the CEO who can walk the floor and go and visit people. Um, It's so motivating when someone who leads your team knows your dog's name or understands that your children are about to start X school. And that's the bit that will motivate people now when they're almost on their asses to come in and go, I heard you training for that marathon. That's awesome. Can we support you in a way? Can we, can we? Add a donation to whatever you're doing it for. That's brilliant. How's your dog uh, looping getting on? Um, It's more of an owl. 
But those things that help you understand your people better is more motivating than any scheme you can put in place. And do you know what it comes down to is just showing that you care. That's how you motivate people in the workplace at the moment. Don't ever over-engineer it. Don't make it hard. Don't make it complex. Go and care. When you care, people will stay. That's a brilliant answer, Ben. Thank you. I mean, it's such a thoughtful response. It's actually made me completely rethink the question because what you've made me consider there is actually the motivation is not something that the leader imposes on the team it's actually ultimately about your own motivation as leaders in it my motivation has got to be i got to understand my team and help them feel seen whatever stage they're at in this post-pandemic processing mode we're all in right now um so that's a great note to end on i actually think it is a really positive one so thank you you're more than welcome thank you very much for having me on Thank you so much to Ben and his team at Lupin for making the time to come onto the podcast. You can find more information about Lupin via the links we'll share in the show notes or at letslupin.com. That's letslupin.com. We'll be back in a fortnight with a brand new episode, this time speaking to Alice Kershaw of the Wildlife Trust. So stay tuned for that one. You can support the podcast by leaving us a five-star review please, wherever you listen to us, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google. They're doing podcasts as well, you know, these days. Um, But yeah, little known pretender in the podcast market. But thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. See you in a couple of weeks.